good Sunday morning. Oh my goodness, I was just in a chili competition. I am recording this yesterday, Saturday, and uh, I am literally in my car driving home from a chili competition. The Rochester Rotary Sunshine Camp Chili and Soup Cook-Off. Three different categories, soup, chili, and dip. And if you hear some dishes and stuff rattling around in the background, by the way, that's uh, what you're hearing is my uh, my setup. But, um, yep, chili soup and, uh, and, and uh, 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 what did I say, dip. And so there was a meatball dip that won that category. The soup was won by uh, basically a chicken pastina, which was delicious, I must say. It was actually my, my neighbor. Not my, like, house neighbor, but the person next to me, the booth next to me. Who won that one? And then the chili, I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out how the chili went because at the end, after it was all said and done, they handed me an envelope and it said, let me see what it said here. Hold on, let me grab it. It said first place chili. Is that good? Is first place good? Should I be, is that good? I can't, I'm not sure if that's good or not. Is that good? First place for Chag one. I have to admit, I'm kind of excited about it. I'm excited because I'm not a chili guy. I don't know how to make chili. I don't, and here's the secret. I actually uh, didn't make chili. Allow me to explain myself. So basically what I did is I did a Cincinnati style. No, no, actually, here's how I worded it. I worded it bolognese style chili served Cincinnati style. So what I did was I did some fresh spaghetti. And uh, my spaghetti recipe I've said on the air before, but I'll say it to you again. Basically, we're going to use a semolina flour, some oil, some salt, and uh, and eggs. So I did some fresh spaghetti. Then I did chili on top of the spaghetti. And the chili is what we have to talk about because I didn't really make chili. I made bolognese sauce. So I started with a mirepoix, and I actually melted that down in butter, got it nice and soft, added my tomatoes, blended that all up. So that got pureed, the celery, carrot, onion, tomato, all pureed. Um, and then on top of that, I did beef, pork, and veal. Uh, this, this, this chili was not good for you because all of the fat that I would normally drain off, I just threw right in the chili. More flavor, right? Very light on beans. All I did was a cannellini bean or cannelloni. How do you say it? Whatever. I did a, a, couple, a few cans of that, so it was basically... The one thing I would say, if there was one knock on my chili at all, it would be hardly any beans. I mean, the beans are there, but it's it's not a bean-forward chili. It was more of a meat-forward, a ground meat-forward. But here's where I really go different. It's basically bolognese sauce, but at the very last minute, before I do my basil, parsley, oregano, you know, all my Italian stuff, I take a left-hand turn, and I do chili powder, paprika, cumin, a little bit of ground clove, a little bit of ground mace instead of my basil, parsley, oregano. So I head down the chili road, and then, of course, I dump in my beans, which I normally wouldn't put in a bolognese. Then I top that with some sharp cheddar cheese, then a little creme fraiche, and finally a piece of cornbread, which I did cheat on the cornbread, I must admit. I bought my cornbread from my favorite cornbread in Rochester, a little joint called Marty's Meats on Park Avenue. And that was it, and uh, I won. And I don't did I win? It's, I don't know if it counts as cheating or not that I used Marty's cornbread, but it was really about the chili. The chili was the was the you know the 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 star of the show, and the chili went well. So I was, I gotta be honest with you, man. I'm on cloud nine right now, feeling good, feeling pretty good winning a chili contest. The ground mace. If you don't know anything about mace, 
it's like, you know, it's like nutmeg on steroids. It's a good spice. Not used a lot. It's expensive. Not crazy expensive. I mean, you go to the grocery store, you can find it. It might be, you know, 10 bucks for a bottle. If granulated garlic is 3 bucks, same size bottle might be 10 bucks. We're not talking about, you know, ridiculously expensive. But, you know, it's, it's not an everyday spice. And, um, it, you know, I have a client, actually who uses mace in their sauce, and I just think it's such a great ingredient. And um, anyway, so, well, there goes some of my chafer dishes in the back. So uh, that went well. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I think you're going to enjoy Tristan Sandvoss. He is a wealth of knowledge. We're going to talk a lot about cheese. We're going to talk about hard seltzers, etc., etc. Oh, I did want to mention one other thing before we get to the interview. This week was my birthday. And uh, we attended a wine tasting at Living Roots, followed by dinner at Revelry. I had not been to Revelry since uh, pre-pandemic. If there's going to be one negative on on Rochester restaurants, it's that we just have too many good ones. And a great restaurant like Revelry, you know, you might go there, uh, you forget to go back for a couple of years, you know? It's so good. I mean, I just... It helped that I had been drinking wine for a couple of hours and our resis weren't till 8 o'clock, so I walked in starving, so everything I ate was just, like, the best thing I've ever eaten. But still, nonetheless, revelry, mwah! I did my thing where I had the server decide what I would get for dinner. I said, just give me what you would order if you were in my seat, and he ended up bringing me out the steak. And whatever they put on that steak, whatever it is, whatever the seasoning was on there, it was mwah! Just wonderful. Um just so so good and then actually friday night we hired uh chefry life chefry and his wife uh chef laura who've been on this podcast before hired them to come out and do a fish fry at my house because my parents were coming to town and they were all upset about missing their church fish fry (laughs) so i said you know what let's do fish fries at home and um it was uh the reason we did it at home was because uh you know the three-year-old not great in restaurants he can go to restaurants but not a not very patient in restaurants. If you're going to go anywhere with him, it's got to be pretty much in and out. And just wanted to take a little bit more time and enjoy each other's company. So we had Chefry Life come over and made us wonderful fish fries with cod. Did some French fries, coleslaw, mac and cheese, and a little speak of the devil cornbread. So, so good. Wonderful. Now I just did this chili cook-off, and now I'm done for the weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Going to try and catch a nap when I get home. I am beat from a couple busy days. And then you know, you already know, it's WrestleMania weekend, baby. Hell yeah. All right, enjoy my interview with Tristan. Go check out the Seltzer Norway. You're going to love it. You're going to love Tristan. I'll talk to you uh, Well, I'll talk to you right after the intro song, right? Shout out to Elvio for this intro song. Doesn't get enough credit for it. Love this song. Enjoy Tristan. Let's go.
Okay, so Tristan, you may not know this, but yesterday was actually my birthday. Happy birthday. Tonight, my parents are coming to town, and we're eating at my house, which means I don't have to go anywhere. And we're recording this on a Friday, so it's a Friday night, which means I'm about to get after it a little tonight. <laughs> my favorite drink in the world is Iron Smoke Whiskey with Ginger Ale. However, I'm sitting here looking at Glacial Ginger Nordic Seltzer by Norway, your company. What if I put bourbon in this? Would that be okay? That would be a fantastic pairing. I yes. think that's a great idea. Think, wait, let me get this on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we're crack, cracking some, uh, some Norway here. Some Norway at 9.52 a.m., buddy. Mm -hmm. There we go. Listen, though. I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> ginger, I like ginger, man. This is so. You've got are these the three flavors? Yes, we have uh, the glacial ginger, which is uh, a blend of ginger and Meyer lemon in this hard seltzer, and then we have our mountain berry, which is uh, boysenberry nice, flavor, nice. and then we have our solar citrus, which is a blend of uh, citrus fruit and peach and uh, mango. Uh, so delicious. those are the three we're launching with. Yeah, it's absolutely delicious. Well, let's let's talk about this a little bit. And then you've been on this podcast before, so I have. I uh, I do want to talk about your background a little bit. We won't harp on it too too much, but of course we got to talk some cheese. If you're gonna have Tristan Sandvoss in the in the car, which I should say we're in our in my car right now <laughs> recording because it's too loud inside the plant. There we go. But if you're gonna have Tristan Sandvoss, you got to talk cheese. But sure. of course we want to concentrate on the uh, the seltzer for a little bit. Um, Let's start with this. There's something very unique about this seltzer, right? Yes. Can we start right off with that? What is it that's so different about this? Absolutely. So Norway Nordic Seltzer is uh, a brand new hard seltzer that's launching on Monday in Wegmans across western New York. Monday, we say April... Sorry, uh, April 4th. 4th. So April 4th. this podcast comes out Sunday. So this is tomorrow. tomorrow. You can go to the store tomorrow. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it is the only hard seltzer on the market in which every can uh, contains... 31% of your daily calcium, which is an excellent source of calcium, and then over 10% of your daily magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, zinc, vitamin B, and vitamin C. Dare I say it's only, good for you? Yeah, it's Dare a better for you hard seltzer. We can't you. say it's a good, it's for, a you. good for you, but if, you're, for you. if you're a hard seltzer drinker, this is the best hard seltzer that you can choose yeah. in terms of what you're going to get back when you drink it, right? How do, so, how do you accomplish that? Yeah, so it's 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 very different than any hard seltzer on the market, and, and it actually speaks to my history as a cheesemaker and being involved in the dairy industry. So this is this is really kind of kind of out there. This hard seltzer, the way we're able to deliver all of those minerals, electrolytes, and vitamins, is because this hard seltzer uses uh, uh, yogurt whey as its base, uh, and we're upcycling that from the Greek yogurt industry. So, like the ingredient statement, first ingredient is whey, W H E Y, yep. parentheses milk. Yeah. Um, what exactly is whey? Sure. Um, so, you know, a lot of people know about Greek yogurt. Obviously, New York State is a great producer of Greek yogurt. Chobani started here. Um, and then there have been many other companies that make Greek yogurt here in New York State. Uh, we're the number one producer in the United States. And not many people are aware that for all the milk that goes into Greek yogurt plants, about 75% of it after they concentrate the protein and the butterfat to make that Greek yogurt, comes out in the form of yogurt whey. Wow. So that is a byproduct of the Greek yogurt industry. So with all that milk that goes back in, a lot of it comes right back out, and there's really not a great use for it at present. So that's what we're using as our base ingredient. So we're sourcing that from New York State uh, yogurt plants. All the milk comes from New York State, but we're taking what is otherwise a byproduct and turning it into you know a unique hard seltzer that's 
So Truly this, New York. This was, was was this actually just waste for the yogurt company? Yeah, you know, a lot of people know about whey protein, right? Uh-huh. Whey protein is something that would come off of like cheese production, which is, as you know, my background, right? We can't capture all of the nutrition in milk when we make cheese. In yogurt, they're actually separating the whey to make that beautiful, thick Greek yogurt that we all love in a different manner. They're doing that mechanically. So they're pulling out all the whey protein. So everybody knows about the, you know, the benefits of whey protein, but in the case of Greek yogurt whey, there's no protein left in it. There's no butter fat left in it. So previously there really wasn't a good application for how to utilize this product. So it, it has been a waste, waste stream, tends to go back to the farms it came from uh, some of it's fed to the cows, but the majority of it gets put into the manure lagoon and spread on the land. Some of it goes to wastewater treatment plants. Yeah. So no good application for how to deal with this waste stream until now. Can I tell you something? I love listening to you talk. You are so knowledgeable and so passionate about what you do because, I mean, the, the people have not even heard you talk cheese yet. We're going to get into cheese <laughs> in a minute. But you wrote me. Can I talk about the email you wrote me? Sure. You wrote me one of the my favorite emails anyone's ever written me before <laughs> in my life because you wrote this email where you were like, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, but it was something along the lines of you're like, a lot of people don't like me. I come off as an asshole. And I was like, you're the fucking best. You're like my favorite person ever to listen to talk. What was that about? Can we talk about that for a second? Let's give it a little context. So so just like you, Paul, you know, like I'm I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, right? I have worked for other people for very few days in my life. Mm. I am a very bad employee. Yeah, and you're I, wired different. You're you're at 100 <laughs> miles an hour all the time, and that's why I love you. I love you. <laughs> well, that's right. That's yeah. right. So I have always, for my entire professional career, been an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I've done an, a wide range of things, but, you know, when I moved back here to uh, New York State, where I'm from and where I where I grew up when I was a kid, uh, I, I, you know, started making cheese, and I started, uh, you know, from doing it on the farm. So Milking Goats, First Light Farm and Creamery is the brand that I built with my brother back in 2010 here in Western New York. Um, And yeah, you know, like I am the kind of person that I have to be in charge. That's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm going to be pushing the envelope in terms of things that I'm passionate about. Right. So that's just how I operate in general. So some people really respond to that and they respond to the passion and other people see that you know, maybe I push a little hard. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, Bossy like pants. I'm not, like, I'm not, like, uh, yeah, I'm not for you. everybody. I'm not for everybody, but, but I'm passionate about what I do. And, and, you know, Norway is the next chapter for us. And it's something that represents a real problem in New York state. And we think we found a really, you know, great solution that provides a better product for people that are, you know, enjoy hard seltzer. And look at what a pro you are too. You turn it right back to your product. Like that was <laughs> such a professional pivot. I love that. That was like a politician answer. But, but you know what though? I get what you're saying. Like you bossy pants but uh i the reason i love you so much is because i also being an entrepreneur i get it i see it and and there's something and i've said this before on this podcast and and i think that this is maybe a thing i've said that people don't like about me because it's a pompous thing to say but i see entrepreneurs and i give them just a little bit of bonus points in my mind because i go you know what that person's been through some shit because how many times have you had your heart broken how many times have you been told no and how many times have you had to get up and keep going after somebody shit on your idea (laughs) or shit right yes and and normal people just can't take the rejection of being an entrepreneur it is a roller coaster yeah and what you know the 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 crisis that you're dealing with today turns into you know a huge win tomorrow and you really can't predict that right you have to be able to roll with it mm-hmm. but you also have to be able to will things into existence right when other people say no 
right? You have to be willing to hear hear no. Yeah. You hear no a lot, a lot, right? But you have to believe in it so inherently, right, in your soul that, you know, you think this needs to exist in the world and you're going to move mountains, you're going to do whatever is yeah. necessary to make it real. I That's, call being unstumpable. Like somebody can somebody can come to you, they can come to me for my pasta sauce and they can come up with any objection right. as to why this pasta sauce is just not a, not great. Right. And I can pretty much answer all of them, right? And that's you got to be in that position where you're just like, bring it. Any question you have about my product, bring that question, and I will tell you why it's amazing. Absolutely right. right. Yeah. Absolutely right. And, and, you know, I've done it from, you know, since 2010, just boots on the ground, right? Yep. I mean, you know, we'll be launching Norway at Wegmans on Monday, as I mentioned. I have been physically in every single Wegmans store across the entire catalog sampling cheese and in the case of what i was doing before it was goat cheese right and for a lot of people goat cheese is not their thing but i had to communicate to them through tasting it and then also you know how i talked about it that you know fresh goat cheese right off the farm is a different experience than what people may have had before so you know my greatest win is someone that comes up and say says i don't like this right and by the end i've moved them over because they've tasted it they've heard you know the story and they connect with it and they realize that this is important well and look what you've built too because you know this is a new product and you're launching it in a little grocery store chain called wegmans <laughs> right i mean you didn't get to launch first lights first cheese in wegmans right that had to be launched at a farmer's market with you under a 10 by 10 tent it was it yeah. was absolutely and you know wegmans has been very good to us over the years and we're thrilled to be working with them on the launch of this but product trust you but it I'm took saying. six years mm -hmm. with with first light farm and creamery mm -hmm. to get into the store and we worked on it for all of that time and again you know I, what i told them is i'm gonna stand behind this i'm gonna support this product so you know even though we're moving to the other side of the store because cheese is on one side and <laughs> beers on the other side you know i have that history with the company and then i also have that history of just being out in the community and meeting folks like you you know other fellow entrepreneurs yeah. in the food space and uh and you know made those connections and you know that's what I'm trying to do is share this story so people know about it because it is brand new there's nothing like this on the market and you know we have great hopes for this growing but we're going to launch it here in new york and and we're looking for you know new yorkers support to uh you know spread the word about this new product but let's go back in time a little bit sure. so you you kind of grew up around here but at one point you and your brother move to hollywood Mm -hmm. And you say, you know what? We're going to be, we're, we're, we're going to Hollywood. We're going to go work in the movies. Another entrepreneurial <laughs> effort because a lot of people, you know, think about Hollywood and they just think that, you know, this is a glamorous thing. But when you're actually on the ground trying to do something yourself, because we ran our own production company, we worked in independent film. My brother uh, was an actor and worked in front of the camera. I did all of the detail work behind the camera. So worked as an assistant director, production assistant, you know, lowest of the low to start those days of production are 12 hours of shooting before you ever mm -hmm. you know prep for the next day and we were moving the entire company so we'd be moving 100 200 people you know 200 professionals actors and then all the professionals that work behind the camera similar to what i was doing and you're moving them to a new location every day so you know a 12-hour day, like I'm saying, just the start. 16, 18-hour days is really what it takes in order to make something real. So there's a lot of corollaries, mm -hmm. right, in terms of, like, trying to make something real and exist in the world, If whether that be, you know, independent film production or food production. Both of those are things that just require so much work. So, yeah, it was, it, it's an interesting way to get into the food industry. Grew up in New York State. But uh, my brother, you know, ended up getting cast in some some big movies in Hollywood, um, and we did that for like five years. But what we found was that, you know, we just weren't 
as passionate about it as before. Tyson so move back, move everyone, back home, and you come back and you yeah. do well. Well, hold on, we gotta go because you did something else cool too. After right after Hollywood, but let, let's talk about Hollywood for one more second. Sure. Your your brother uh, is in a few movies. I'm sorry to ask you the cliche question, but is anything we would have seen, what can you tell us that we would know? Sure. So uh, he did uh, some TV shows. Let's see. He was on uh, Cold Case back in the day. Uh, he did. Um, Nip Tuck, remember that show? Oh, yeah. Uh, he was in a movie with Jennifer Aniston and Kevin Costner called Rumor Has It, yep, yep, which yep. was sort of positioned as the, uh, the as sequel, a to, the sequel graduate. to The Graduate. Yep, yeah, I remember yeah. that one. Yep. So, yeah, he did, he did a bunch of those, and then a bunch of sh- movies that you have never seen, right? right. Well, that's <laughs> that, what you got to do. That existed yeah. in that independent film space, but now with streaming, you can find them, which yeah. is amazing, but that's that did great. not exist when we were doing it. Do you guys it at the get time. the checks for $7 every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a dollar and, dollar like, and a quarter. That's yeah. about it all we get right now <laughs> streaming is a little worse with uh residuals but uh yeah my brother gets more checks than me but i think they tend to be in the single digits well let me go back to young tristan sandvoss he's in hollywood he's making movies at that point in your life do you know anything about making cheese i don't i've always i'd always loved goat cheese mm-hmm. and i while i grew up in new york state and i grew up next to a farm i did not grow up in farming at all mm-hmm. um but you know similar to getting excited about anything you know, when it was movies, right? I just knew I liked goat cheese, and one day I said, I'm going to go figure out how to learn, you know, learn yeah. how to do this. And then talk about what you did, because this next move <laughs> is one of my favorite moves of anyone ever. You said, I want to learn about goat cheese, and you just went and did it. Yeah, well, it's amazing what people will let you do when you're willing to work for free. Uh-huh. So that's what I did. I, I volunteered my services at a startup goat dairy and creamery in Washington State, and, uh, you know, from a very short time living in Los Angeles, then I was milking goats at five o'clock in the morning, right? <laughs> so yeah, anybody's happy to let you do that particular job. Um, so yeah, I worked with a, a, a vet and his wife who had retired and decided to start a goat dairy and creamery uh, and just said, I'll do whatever it takes. And so learned the farming side, which obviously is critical. There's no cheese without the farming piece of it. And then after that, learned the cheese making side, worked farmers markets for them. Uh, you know, there's a great tradition of artisanal cheese in the Pacific Northwest where I learned uh, and then brought that back home to New York State. But, yeah, you know, did it for for uh, just over a year and then said, I'm going to get this going on my own, uh, which, you know, is a pretty big leap of faith at the time what is your relationship like with the actual goats is it like are these my these are my babies like that's jeff that's tom that's lisa and these are or is it a little bit more like look they're just livestock they're just here to produce this milk that i need to make these cheese like where or are they or is your passion in like the life of these goats yeah walk in there and you go jeffrey how's it going buddy no everyone in our herd every single goat had had a name mm-hmm. has a name um and you know because we were working collaboratively with them so right we we're milking at five o'clock in the morning then making cheese during the day then maybe hitting a farmer's market in the afternoon and then you got to turn around and come back because you got to milk at 5 p.m again so we had a very very close relationship with those goats so yes i knew every single one by name i would often in the first couple of years before when it was just me and my brother before we had employees i would sleep in the barn oh, when the goats were so kidding sweet. baby goats are called kids uh, and, uh, you know, most of the time the goats can handle it on their own. They, they know what they're doing in terms of having their babies and then getting their babies that milk that we eventually then will use for cheese. But occasionally they need help. So, you know, lots of times in those first couple of years, I was
was sleeping on the straw right next to him in the barn just to make sure I was there in case they needed our help. That's so sweet. And do goats have personalities? Like, was there a goat who'd be like the cuddly one who's like, hey, Tristan? And then the other one who's kind of like, don't bother me. I don't feel like being milked today. Oh, for right. sure. For yeah. sure. Goats have a social hierarchy, right? So mm-hmm. there, there's there's a, the, a goat at the top and a goat at the bottom. And everybody has their place. I mean, it's a social relationship. In fact, there's been research to show that each individual goat herd will develop their own language within wow. their herd and how they particularly communicate in that herd, right? Yeah. So I was a member of that herd. Now, I tried to be at the top as much as I could, but there are a few goats that put me in my place and would make sure. And, you know, goats, like, uh, when when they're born, they have horns, and they use those horns, well, they right? So after you, huh? you do have to yeah. be aware, and there there are a few. I mean, I have my favorites, of course, and you know, just like uh, children, you know, I have children too. <laughs> Can't necessarily tell them which one's the favorite, and, but 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 it exists. It exists. You're the father for sure. of a three-year-old, right? I'm the father of a three. Check out my T-shirt. I'm wearing a Coco Melon Daddy Live T-shirt. Oh my! Because I went to Coco Melon Live at Kodak Center on Monday. <laughs> it was oh, great. the television shows talk about entertainment, right? Yeah, between uh, Blippi and, and all the all the the different television shows I've had to watch as a result. No, yeah, I have a, a three and a half year old named Austin and a oh. six and a half year old named Avery. And yeah, oh. yeah, I mean. Very different than my relationship with the goats. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, sometimes it seems like they similar. have horns, though, right? It does seem like they have horns. <laughs> oh, and they'll come sure. after you, you. You you get it. You get it. I mean, oh, yeah. three is a tough, tough age. And, you know, you'll do whatever you need to, whatever oh, yeah. shows you have to go to to keep them happy. Absolutely. Coco Melon, 60 bucks a ticket, $105 at the merch stand. Yeah. You know, $7 waters. Capri Sun was like 5 bucks. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing a new entrepreneurial business that maybe you and I can do, oh, right? Yeah. So, something we can do to, oh, like, yeah. cater to this this particular market. Because, no, you and I, we, we, we pay for that. I was thinking Absolutely. about it, though. We watch Coco Melon on YouTube, which yeah. is free. And so I was th- telling my wife, because we, we were driving home from it, talking about, like, geez, that was an expensive, you know, night. And our kid is, he's, you know, it's only like 60 minutes long, too. And he's... He's three. Like he, anyway, I was telling her, I was like, you know what though? Good for them. She says, What do you mean good for them? I like, good for them. Their shit's on YouTube. Yeah. They don't make any money off YouTube, or at least they, they probably make a little bit. I bet you bit. they do now. They probably do. I bet do you now. they do, yeah. But but then I said, I go, they're just going around the country cashing in right yeah. now. They entertain yeah. our child for hours and hours and hours and yeah. hours. Yeah. And now they're going around being like, time to collect. <laughs> right. Well, look, I mean, this is this is true in business in general, right? Mm-hmm. First, Give people something. Hook give them. people something that yeah. they want, right? And and give them some actual value. And then from there, yeah, then you build it out, yeah. right? And I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Just like you, I'm glad they're making their money right now. They yeah. work. They've worked hard for that. Yeah. And there's so many examples of that. Absolutely. I owe them that money for the hours of entertainment <laughs> they've given Leo. I give, do. Yeah, keeping your sanity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's talk about cheese. So then you start making cheese, and right. uh, and you have to learn how to make cheese. So yeah. tell me, like, what is th- it, it seems hard to me because I make pasta sauce and mm-hmm. I know in the moment I'm making it whether or not it's good. Mm. And the longest I would ever possibly have to wait to find out if my sauce is any good is maybe the next day. Maybe right. like, hey, give me 24 hours. We'll see what it tastes like once it you know, has been around. Yeah. But for the most part, I know instantly right. whether or not this sauce is any good. With cheese, don't you have to wait? A long time to find out if you nailed it or not. Well, first of all, it depends on the type of cheese. Okay. Certainly, there are fresh products, and you know we made a lot of fresh chev, which is fresh goat cheese, right? So that one we would know within three days. But if you're going to make, for example, a sharp cheddar, which everybody enjoys, and we certainly made, 
uh, a sharp cheddar by definition is not sharp until it's aged for one year. So yes, you are correct, right? It is a long game. You're going to have to wait and see. Now you're tasting it during that process and you can make adjustments in terms of the environment that you're aging it in to try to push that cheese in, in one direction or another. But yeah, it's a slow food by definition, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to make an aged cheese, of course, we made a bunch of them. Uh, you, you have to, you know, work collaboratively. Like when we talk about that collaborative relationship that we have with the goats, the milk and the cheese is the same, right? You're working with fermentation, right? This process that you cannot see, right? So as opposed to the process you see in the jar the next day, right? We're trying to control things on a microbiological level, right? So that fermentation, we have to, you know, know the science, push it in the right direction, give it the right environment to perform in the way that we believe it will, and then adjust accordingly. The real skill of a cheesemaker is not making good cheese once, right? It's making cheese well when things don't go perfectly, which is a lot of the time, right? And, and having the skill to adjust if you need to. Do you, there's a saying, you know, there's no such thing as uh, mistakes, just new recipes. <laughs> is that a little bit what you're talking about? Where like if the cheese isn't going the direction you want, you make the adjustment and it now it's, it was going to be a, a sharp cheddar. Now it's going to be a New York style <laughs> Not so sharp cheddar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes that works. Sometimes that works. Okay. There certainly are happy accidents. And I used to teach cheese making classes, you know, because I wanted to share this knowledge. I'd bring people to the farm, have them milk a goat, spend the day with me making cheese. Mean meanwhile, I'm just getting some free labor, right? That's the, they're paying me to <laughs> right. come do my work. Um, but but uh, you know, like that connection, right, between the actual process is something that most people just do not understand, right? So certainly, yeah, there are some happy accidents. And then I did make a lot of cheese that, uh, you know, the pigs at the pig farm down the road really <laughs> enjoyed a lot. They loved it. They loved it, but not really ready for, you know, going to Wegmans. But yeah, you, you, you learn every single time you make cheese, you have to understand that raw ingredient because milk is not the same every day, right? We have an expectation now because of modern processing that when you go to the store and you pick up that gallon of whole milk it's the same every single time right and it is because it's been standardized it's been homogenized it's been pasteurized but when you're dealing with fresh raw milk right off the farm the milk that a mother goat produces when she's producing milk for a young kid a young baby is different than the milk that she'll produce nine months later when she's at the end of her lactation as a cheesemaker we're adjusting to the milk that's coming right off the farm that day. Mm -hmm. We're not adjusting the milk, right? This is a farmstead cheese making where we're not standardizing. We're adjusting to the seasonality of it. We're not, you know, re reforming that milk through uh, mechanical processes. Uh, the, 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 I love whole milk. And I, I think that, you know, I'm probably not supposed to be drinking whole milk as an adult. I don't know. I love it though. And mm -hmm. I do drink whole milk. Um, what is raw milk like? I've never tried it. Is it amazing? I, and isn't raw milk like illegal or something to sell? Or am I? Or am I? What is that like a, a rumor I've heard that's not true? There are different rules in each state. Okay. In New York State, it is actually legal to purchase mm -hmm. raw milk. Now you can't buy it at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. You need to physically go to the farm and buy that milk from the farmer. Okay. Now that's not the best raw milk you can get. The best raw milk you can get is when you go out to the barn, milk that goat or that cow or that sheep and take it right out of the animal, right? Enjoy it fresh, as so fresh as like? possible. How good is that? Well, you know, again, I was talking about the experience that most people have with goat cheese, right? A lot of people have had goat cheese that tastes like a barn, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, and people have a bad experience with it. When you have fresh, 
raw goat's milk off the farm, it is entirely different than that experience. It's sweet. It has a grassy quality to it. And you can't get that experience. You know, I can, you know, buy a, a gallon of whole goat's milk at the grocery store. And it's very, very different than what I would get if I milked that animal myself. So, yeah, it's legal in New York State. There's nothing inherently dangerous about it. What's dangerous about it is actually the human beings and the processes that get in the middle, right? Mm. Pasteurization protects from bad bacteria, right? But in the case of cheese making, right, we use good bacteria. We collaborate with that microbiological process, right, and use good bacteria. So when people get in trouble with raw milk, it's because it hasn't been handled properly, right? The animals are not the cause of the problem in most cases. There are a few small cases where that could exist. But again, you know, my, my always, my rule of thumb was I'll drink raw milk off the farm if I was the one milking. Oh, right? If I'm yeah. the one milking, I know exactly how that how that milking went, and I know that it's fresh. I know that there were no you know, impurities that happen during the process. If I wasn't there, I'm going to make sure it's pasture. What is wrong with me that I like milk, but I have to tell you that I think if you put a cup under a cow's <laughs> teat or a goat's teat or yeah, whatever, yeah. and you went into that and then you handed it to me, that I might be like, ooh, I don't know if I want to drink this. <laughs> is that, is that, that's wrong, right? Well, first of all, I'm the, wrong. First of all, we're very used to having milk at refrigerated temperatures, right? right? When it's coming out of the animal, it's warm. That is a different experience well, that I most people just haven't had. Trista, I lived in Italy and they okay. had Parmalat milk, yeah. and they used to keep their milk warm in Italy. You know, you would open that carton when you were going to use it, and they were small cartons. Yes. And and so I did get used to drinking warm milk, actually, and I would put the milk in the fridge once in a while, and they thought that was weird <laughs> shit that I was putting milk in the fridge in Italy. Well, so. that is a different process, and that is typical in other areas of the world, called ultra heat treatment, right? Mm, so this is actually so an even thing. higher form of pasteurization okay. and that with aseptic filling then allows them to store it warm. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that, I don't know about people then consuming it warm, but obviously that is closest to the experience of getting it right off the farm from the animal. But that's not something that most people are familiar with, but in other areas of the world, absolutely. What is it that took you down the road of specifically goat milk, goat cheese, as opposed to traditional cow or anything else? What is it that made you say, you know what, goat, that's my jam? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, like we've talked about with entrepreneurialism, like I, I'm, I'm very opinionated, right? Like I know what I like uh, and I feel very strongly about it. And I just always just personally, my personal taste, just prefer goat cheese. It has a depth of flavor and a complexity. Again, there's bad versions of it, right? But when it's really done right, it's much more nuanced than most cow's milk cheese. Now, I enjoy that as well, right? I enjoy sheep's milk cheese too. But I just always really responded to that fresh goat cheese and, your, you know, your medium-aged goat cheeses as well because it, it just had a, a very specific flavor. So that's just something that was my personal taste. And, and then also, you know, coming to Western New York and starting my own brand, I wanted to do something that was different than everybody else. There's mm -hmm. a lot of cow's milk cheese in New York State. You know, we're one of the largest producers of dairy in the country. Um, so we wanted to find our little niche within that. And so goat cheese was an obvious solution for that because not many people were doing it, number one. And number two, you know, I was passionate about it. And so that, that was an easy, an easy uh, decision for me. Um, the, the, the you start first like creamery and i want people to hear this because we're talking about uh, entrepreneurship you're making the cheese and you're making good cheese but that is only half the battle the other half of the battle is now you got to go out into the world and convince actual people strangers 
to try your cheese. So can you talk about how hard you worked in those early first light creamery days? Still do to this day, but really specifically those first couple of months and even years where you were just farmer's markets every freaking day. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think our first year we were doing 10 farmer's markets a week. Wow. So that's in addition to milking, Mm -hmm. making cheese, uh, handling all the regulatory compliance, obviously, because you know what we were talking about with raw milk. You get you, you know from the state's perspective, you got to make sure that you're handling that in the right way. And then we were doing all of the marketing work, so that could be as simple as going to a farmer's market and talking to a customer, tasting it with the customer, talking about what they're going to taste, giving them you know some expectations of what the product's going to be like, talking about those seasonal changes. But then it came down to you know doing that marketing work as well so i had to teach myself how to do you know all the graphic design piece of it as well all the web design we, we had to do every aspect of the business because we were doing it by the bootstraps you know so it was me and my brother and doing everything ourselves so that hard work of communicating your messaging yes there's a piece of that that's graphic design there's a piece of that that's just making good products and then there's another piece of it which is getting out there, sharing the message, and letting people know about it. Because you can make great products that sit on the shelf that nobody ever hears okay. about. Right? You have to make sure that people know about what you're doing and they understand the passion that you have for it and the reason why they need to make that choice versus something else to buy your product. Not easy. Uh, you know, we, I hear from a lot of people who want to get started in, in bottling, or and I'm sure you hear from a lot of people that want to get started in some sort of food business. Um, and... I just wanted to try to get the point across. I love how hard you worked. We did. A, we have a similar story for Google Amo Sauce, and mm-hmm. most successful brands have similar story. Sure. And I am approached, a, uh, I would say, relatively regularly by people who have a great recipe for something, and I'm sure they do, and they kind of think that's all they need. Right. And I do just kind of want to get the point across of it is important that your product is good, but it is far from the only thing. It is the mini, minimum uh-huh. In a minimum requirement, <laughs> yes, right? It yeah. must be good. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, everybody's got good products, right? Mm-hmm. But how can you differentiate? How yes. can you share that story in an effective yeah. manner? Yeah. I, actually, I had my phone, and I had this thing. And when I tell you where I got this from, you might laugh at me, but I thought it was so good. Uh, and I'm going to tell you what it is first before I tell you where I got it from. But it was, uh, uh, how, are, how are you doing? Okay, how is your business doing? Ready? What is it that you are the best at in the world? What did you invent? Or is there anything patentable or a unique user experience? Have you identified an isolated market segment? Have you truly branded your concept? Um, the why didn't I think of it factor? Is it a unique idea? Can it be scaled? Can it be protected? Can someone easily duplicate it? That's how good uh, That's how good of an entrepreneur is it. And I can work with them to make, hold on, what does that mean? <laughs> hold on. Oh, and also how good is the actual entrepreneur? So there's a combination of two people there and all of those thoughts that I like to try to ask myself now hmm. about different brands. And one of them is Mark Cuban. Some hmm. of those thoughts came from Mark Cuban. Mm-hmm. The other one came, came from the TV show Billions. Damian yeah. Lewis's character, sure. Bobby Axelrod, yeah, does, where his wife wants to start a business and he kind of goes off on her and goes, you're not ready, you're not ready. And then he starts listing off a bunch of that stuff. And he goes, until you have great answers to these questions, yeah. you are not ready for scale. Not to say don't launch your business, but scale. It's more to do with scale. Yeah. Um, anyway, so first like Creamery goes, you're doing a couple years, you're busting your ass, you're working hard. Uh, eventually you, you break through. I mean, I know you still feel like maybe you feel like you haven't i don't know but you have and you break through at some point you're in wegmans things are going well you've got relationships around the country for your cheeses what do you think it was if there was one thing or was it just everything combined that made you break through with first light creamery 
in those yeah, first I th- few. Yeah, I think it's the it's the sum of all of those things that we did in the first couple of years. It wasn't, you know, I mean, you've heard the expression, right? Ten years to make an overnight success. Certainly mm-hmm. hear that in Hollywood, right? And uh, people don't see that. Most people don't, right? People see it once it has achieved some level of scale. Um, so it was, you know, number one, having a good product. Number two, being passionate about it. And then number three, just being dogged in terms of, you know, not giving up, right? Yeah. A, lot, a lot of people... Uh, you know, don't have the stomach for it because, like we were talking about before, it's a roller coaster. There are tough, tough days. Uh, so yeah, um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't like a light bulb moment. It certainly felt great to be on the shelves at Wegmans, but we kept working the next day. So then, another big deal for you was Old Chatham Creamery, right? Yeah. Old Chatham Creamery, who I think almost anyone has heard of, right? That's a very, very well-known brand. Yes. Can you talk about how that relationship happened and what? ended up happening with that. Sure. So uh, let's see, coming up on five years ago now, uh, I was uh, reaching out to Cornell because Cornell is such a great resource for New York State farmers. That's where we learn about some of these, you know, fundamentals of fermentation, food safety. And uh, when we have issues in terms of, you know, getting that performance from the product, Cornell is a resource for us. Uh, So through Cornell, when we were looking to expand our goat dairy and expand our business, I reached out to the team there and uh, they connected me with a retired professor uh, who taught in, uh, you know, the School of Animal Science, uh, who had retired and then ended up purchasing uh, what is the uh, number one sheep's milk cheese and yogurt brand in the country called Old Chatham Creamery. Uh, and uh, so I, I, I ended up speaking with uh, Dr. David Galton, uh, this retired professor, and asking him about his opinions about our approach on growth. And what he what ended up through this conversation was he said, hey, you can go ahead and do all this work, but I'm building this new creamery. I have this brand and I have a concept to put several artisanal brands under one roof and leverage those economies of scale that you can get with a larger plant and be more competitive within the marketplace. And his focus was on animal husbandry. So, you know, he said, you know, look, I know what I'm doing in terms of producing sheep, goat and cow's milk, right? And he has dairies presently that produce all three of those uh, supplies of, of raw milk. But he said, I'm building this plant. I know less about cheese and less about yogurt. You've been doing this on the ground. Would you be interested in pairing up with us and not just bringing First Light under that umbrella, but also helping us grow Old Chatham Creamery? So we uh, ended up doing that. I moved all my goats to his farm um, and they're managed better than I ever did. I mean, he's, he's an expert in this area. And then now I had all of this new milk uh, to play with. So we, uh, we developed some brand new products and, uh, in collaboration with Wegmans, uh, in 2019, uh, we made a, a, a cheese that goes through Wegmans aging cave. So we make it fresh at the creamery, ship it to Wegmans aging caves. They age it and then put it in the store and it goes under the Wegmans brand. That's a cheese called professor's Brie and it's named after Dr. David Galton, the professor that uh, is my partner at Old Chatham Creamery. And uh, that cheese won number two in the country at the American Cheese Society Awards in 2019. That's That's awesome. Number two out of uh, 1,742 cheeses. So, you know, it was just an incredible opportunity for me to step things up to the next level, have better equipment, more milk supply, and then, you know, deeper relationships because Old Chatham's been around for 27 years and we were only a six-year-old brand at the time uh so you know we took that did a lot locally and then shipped cheese nationally as well i gotta go buy a bunch of cheese for tonight for yeah. um for i have my, suggestions yeah for my, <laughs> my parents coming to town and yeah. you know the appetizer i was thinking because they're they're 
Captain Catholic, mm-hmm. and it's Friday, so it's got to mm-hmm. be all, no no like meat. Tri- can't do a full charcuterie, so I'm just gonna do cheeses. Sounds good. And uh, Professor's Brie will absolutely be. There you go. Be, yeah. I, I got. I don't know if I've ever had it to tell you the truth, so I cannot wait. It's a beautiful camembert. It's made with a blend of sheep's milk and then also cow's milk and cow's milk cream. It's a square camembert, and uh, you know you can find it there, right there at the uh, at the at the. Uh, counter in, in every Wegmans. It's a really yeah. excellent cheese. So you're doing that for a while and now let's bring this thing full circle and sure. come back to Norway. Bring me to the light bulb moment for Norway Nordic Seltzer. Well this is a result of again, you know, all that time that I'd put in in the industry and that those relationships that I'd built with folks at Cornell. So one of the professors that works in the food science department at Cornell, his name's Sam Alkane. Uh, he does, did a lot of work with the extension program and had a particular focus on dairy fermentations. So I've known, I'd known Sam for years, worked with him. He was the guy I called if I was having issues. And Sam uh, came to me and put a brand new product in front of me and said, this is something I've been working on, just like your feedback on what the, the taste of it is. So to step back a little bit from Sam's perspective and Cornell's perspective, not many people are aware, right, that Greek yogurt in New York State, 75% of the liquid that goes into those plants comes right back out as, as yogurt whey. And this is a major issue in terms of how do we deal with this. So the Department of Environmental Conservation, New York Dairy Farmers Association, Uh, And the USDA provided grants to Cornell to try to figure out what to do with this waste stream. Um, So many different Cornell professors gave, you know, this this a shot in terms of trying to figure something out with it. So I know that there's, uh, you know, one professor that's making biofuel from from uh, away from yogurt plants. But Sam, my now business partner in Norway Nordic Seltzer, uh, he came to Cornell after working in industry. He's, he's, he's a beer guy. He worked for uh, what was at the time Miller Coors and what is now Molson Coors in R&D. Um, so Sam, when he looked at this waste stream, he saw what was in it. You know, there's no protein, there's no butter fat, but there's all these electrolytes, vitamins, and minerals that we've talked about. And then one other really important ingredient, which is lactose. Lactose, you know, there are a lot of folks that are lactose intolerant. They don't really necessarily even understand what lactose is. Lactose is a really simple but very important ingredient in all milk. It's milk sugar, right? Glucose, sucrose, lactose, right? Mm -hmm. Just milk sugar. And so Sam, as a fermentation expert, saw that and with his background in beer said, hey, there's lactose in this. We can leverage that sugar supply and turn this into alcohol. So, you know, with the help of these grants and the support of the New York Dairy Farmers, uh, Sam had developed this initial prototype, which at the time, you know, was very different from what will be going into the uh, grocery store starting on Monday the 4th. Uh, and uh, so he had me taste it. And, and uh, you know, I just, I just responded to it right away. I, I saw the value in it. I saw that it is a better product than anything that's currently on the shelf. And I saw that it was addressing a specific environmental sustainability issue. And so what we did together was then work to develop what is now Norway Nordic Seltzer. And again, we're leveraging that that supply of ingredients, which was otherwise not being used effectively. So now the game is, because everything you just said will sell this shit this this stuff, sorry, <laughs> this this amazing product. Thank we'll sell you. this amazing product. Uh, 
Oh, what is the freaking popular seltzer I'm thinking of that every, what was every like college frat bro drinking a couple? Truly, of, tr- White Claw. White Claw, that's what there I was going to Okay, so there's all that crap, right? There's yeah. all that crap. So how do we get the attention of my wife who's going to go and maybe choose White Claw for no reason other than she's heard of it? Right? Sure. Well, I mean, look, that has been a incredible growing vertical within the beer, seltzer, cider space, hard seltzer. And what's driving it? You know, consumers like your wife that want to make a better choice, right? So instead of drinking an IPA that's got hundreds of calories per serving, what's driving the seltzer push? You know, typically a 12-ounce White Claw or Truly is going to be 100 calories per serving, right? So it's about still having that you know, being able to participate in, in, in enjoying alcohol, but not getting that huge number of calories, right? And that's become very, very popular. In fact, the Boston Beer Company, Sam Adams, right? They actually, over the course of the pandemic, there were quarters where they were making more money on their hard seltzer brand, truly, mm. than they were making on Sam Adams, right? So this is a trend that is not going away. Many, many hard seltzers and many companies have, you know, jumped into this space. But the reality is that all of those are extremely similar. What are they? Water, sugar, and natural flavors, right? So all those flavors that you see within hard seltzer, they tend to be made, they're flavored through natural flavors. And if you know, you're in the industry, you understand natural flavors are an ingredient that doesn't have any calories, but you know, they, they mimic that flavor. So you might be having a lemon-lime seltzer, there's no lemon or lime in it. It has a natural flavor in it that's mimicking that. So Norway Nordic Seltzer, it, you know, we have the same number of calories. We actually are debuting in a 16 ounce can and our 16 ounce cans are either 115 or 120 calories, which means per serving, per 12 ounce serving, if you're gonna match that slim can that Truly or, or White Claw makes, we're actually lower in calories. But what we do is we add real fruit ingredients to the products. So that, you know, the, the mountain berry is made with real boysenberry, glacial ginger is made with real ginger and real Meyer lemon, the solar citrus is made with real citrus, peach pineapple as well actual real fruit in it but we still hit those calorie targets then add on top of that all of the minerals electrolytes and vitamins if you are a hard seltzer drinker right why not choose something that's going to replace some of those electrolytes that are you know that are uh uh, diminished when you drink alcohol in general right so we're replacing those electrolytes as you're drinking it whereas otherwise you're just just drinking excuse me for saying it, but sugar water, right? Sugar water with some carbonation and natural flavors. And then one last thing, right? Not only are you getting all of that, everything that you get in a typical hard seltzer, plus all of this extra nutrition, but when you buy in Norway, you know that you're taking a product that would otherwise be a waste product, and we're upcycling it and making it something that makes the yogurt industry and the dairy industry in New York State and beyond ultimately more sustainable, right? So it's, it's, it's a better choice. When we talk about our product, we talk that it is a better for you choice. If you're a hard seltzer drinker, why not make the choice to drink Norway instead? That was phenomenal. Nobody could possibly hear that and say, yeah, I'm still going to go with Truly. <laughs> like that was the best sales pitch I've ever heard. I think uh, Will Farrell and Talladega Knights had something about Big Red. If you don't chew Big Red, Fuck you. (laughs) It's something like that. It's something, to me, it's something like that where it goes, if you go to buy hard seltzer this week at Wegmans and you don't choose Norway, (laughs) N-O-R-W-H-E-Y, you did it wrong. You just did it wrong. You have to to go get this stuff. Tristan. But but here's here's one one more thing let me throw in there. 
I will put this beverage up against Truly, up against White Claw. Do a side-by-side tasting. You know, it's not the Pepsi challenge, it's the Norway challenge. I challenge anybody, go taste them side-by-side. Not only are we delivering that extra nutrition, not only are we, you know, creating a more sustainable dairy industry in New York State, but we taste better. And at the end of the day, like we were talking about, what's the minimum barrier for entry? Product has to be good. And this product is better than what is the other alternatives out there. Yeah. Well, listen, I think I've had White Claw once in my life because I'm not a frat bro. Uh, I would drink this. I have drank this, actually. At one point, you gave me a, a sample pack, and I brought Absolutely. it home and, and drank it over the course of a week or so. Uh, and I, I have not purchased White Claw in my life. Uh, I think I purchased White Claw one time in my life back when it was brand new because I got sucked into the curiosity like anybody else. But other yeah. than that, I've never – this I would purchase. This is good. Um, and this is something I would choose over beer mm-hmm. because it is lighter and doesn't weigh me down the way the beer does. And this ginger, this Norway the ginger, is exactly what I'm looking for for the, the bourbon tonight. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's back to come full circle again. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, I'll tell you, you know, I mean, uh, the, those initial prototypes that I tasted with Sam when he was, you know, just experimenting with how to make this product they were beers because sam is a beer guy just mm-hmm. like you right mm-hmm. he came from from miller Coors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so he has that that mindset in terms of the fermentations that he's making and you know if you enjoy a sour beer which is a trend that you know a lot of people are drinking right now this has a lot of similarities to it um and you know it is acidic right so it's got that bright you know very dry finish to the product really easily drinkable and i'll tell you uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're willing to try these seltzers, but there's beer coming down the line. We're going to be Great. making beers. Uh, we're going to be making uh, wine, and we're going to be making distilled products. We actually licensed our facility as a brewery, New York State Farm Brewery, Winery, and Distillery, wow. because we can take this same raw resource and turn it into all those products. And again, every single one of them will have a better nutri- nutritional, uh, you know, panel than anything else that's currently on the market well this shit's gonna make you a multi-millionaire bro <laughs> i have a feeling well i hope so you know and, and you know f- for, for from our perspective you know the, the work is now just like when we started the the farmstead creamery brand the work is not about making millions of dollars the work is about right now sharing the story and getting people to understand right. the difference right and then everything else that comes down the road right that's gravy right but right now what i want to do is just give people a better option yeah Tristan Sandvoss, thank you, bro. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Paul. I, I really appreciate, appreciate the opportunity. Got anything good, good going on this weekend? What are you doing? Oh, getting ready for the launch. Okay. I'll be in every single Wegmans from <laughs> in Western New York from here uh, from from now for the next couple months. Uh, so if you see me there, please say hello. Uh, check out Norway.com, N-O-R-W-H-E-Y.com. And if you're looking for the product, it will be in every single Wegmans uh, by at the latest uh, the 11th of April. So please. Great. Enjoy it. All Thanks right. For Thanks for doing this, man. Awesome. Thank you, Paul.